0: That Triathlon Show, three hundred eight. Hey, what's up everybody? And welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael, and on today's episode I interview Frederick Funk. Frederick is a pro triathlete from Germany with six Ironman 73 slash challenge family titles to his name, and he's currently ranked ninth in the world in the PTO rankings, and he had a strong fifth place at the Ironman 73 World Championships in 2022 to finish off the year. In this interview, we discuss his training in great detail with lots of numbers and specifics shared. And just as a little bit of context and background to why I'm now doing this interview with a pro triathlete, when that's not something that I usually do, uh, I discussed this at the very start of the year in an episode where I went through the results of my listener survey. And uh, based on those results, I decided that I will be incorporating some interviews with pro triathletes this year uh, to add some variety, add some good case studies of how people at the top of the sport are training. And I just think it will be very interesting for, for myself and for the listeners as well. However, one thing that I think is really important when doing these interviews, uh, for me at least it is, is that they are specific and detailed. Uh, I don't really have any interest in asking about the training of an athlete and getting very vague answers that avoid going into specifics uh, or even going to numbers. And uh, with this in mind, I think there is no better athlete for this first tri athlete interview on the podcast uh, than Frederick Funk, who is as transparent as can be with his training. He says himself in the interview that it's kind of his claim to fame. Uh, All of his data and training is on Strava, and uh, also he has detailed breakdowns in Instagram posts and on YouTube videos. So uh, he's somebody that I was really, really excited to talk with and invite onto the show. Before we get into the interview, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools, education, and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video call station to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. You can get 50% off your first order by using the code TTS23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Form. The Form smart swim goggles give you real-time feedback in your swim training through a display on the goggle lens. You can see every split, you can see live stroke rate and even live heart rate through integration with polar heart rate monitors. All of this helps you execute your swim workouts more optimally and it makes it more fun to be in the water. You can get in depth post swim analysis with the Form app, and the app syncs your workouts seamlessly to platforms like Training Peaks, Trava, Today's Plan, and Final Search. You can also build your own guided workouts or use workouts from a vast library of workouts and training plans within the app. Get 15% off the goggles with the code TTS15 on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, here's the interview with Frederick Funk. Welcome to that's your excellent show, Frederick. How are you doing?
1: Thanks for having me yeah I'm, I'm doing really really good.
0: Where are you at at the moment uh, on training camp or back at back home in Germany?
1: Um, right now I'm in Germany um, yeah but already leaving for the next training camp um, in, a, in a few days uh, to Girona for yeah five weeks training camp actually
0: all right yeah that sounds sounds good to escape the the winter um we are recording in the middle of february just for the listeners as this episode will be released a little bit later um but before we get into uh, all the questions today uh, can you give an introduction of yourself and tell us more about uh yourself and your athletic background
1: yeah sure so um yeah i'm uh, frederick funk a german pro triathlete um currently focusing on the on the middle distance uh, triathlon and um, yeah I'm doing the sport for uh, for quite some time already um, I mean I'm a professional since uh, since 2018 but um, basically got um, born into the sport as my parents are both doing it for for over 30 years already and um, yeah and uh, since that um I got did my first triathlon on actually when I was uh, already five years old. And, uh, uh, since that, uh, just getting better uh, year by year and, uh, do it, doing it with, with passion. And, uh, yeah, my latest results are, uh, fifth place at the Ironman 723 World Championship, uh, last year. And, um, yeah, for the next years, I'm trying to, to build up on that and, uh, try to be the best in the world. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, can we talk a little bit more specifically about uh, that? So other than being the best in the world, uh, what are your goals for, let's say, for this year, for 2023? And and also, what does your race calendar look like, if you know it already?
1: Um, So for this year, I will still be focused on the middle distance. And um, yeah, especially the the new PTO Tour Series will be a big focus for me. So um, there I'm trying to do... Try to do all the races um and then next to that the the ironman seventy point three world championship um is is a big goal for for me as well and um yeah i don't really um have like a, a like race calendar complete yet um but uh, yeah like i said it it will be the the p t o races and then um a few more races uh built around that as a build up or um yeah to 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 check the shape.
0: Yeah I, it will already be um, what is it four PTO Tour races plus colliders cup plus three world championships so uh, so it's it's a good amount of racing uh, already
1: yeah um, true
0: what one thing that uh, that I think is quite unique about you in or at least you do it to a higher level than most is that you are really open with your data in the pro track world. And uh, can you uh, talk about why why it is that you choose to do this? What what is your what is the objective? What what is there to gain for you from doing that?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's basically my my claim to fame. Uh, I think like uh, a lot of people are following me, yeah, mainly because of because of that, because they can see, um, yeah, what one of the best triathletes um, on a middle distance is, is doing in training and what you have to do to. To be uh, that good how I am. And um, yeah, the reason why I actually started it um, was mostly like on the one hand because of for myself, um, just logging the training, um, just that I did it um, public on, on Strava. And obviously in the beginning, um, I didn't have a lot of followers. I also didn't have like a lot of results. I think I started it back in 2014, 2015. So I was still a, a junior. Um, and yeah, obviously I was only doing it for myself, only getting like maybe two kudos, uh, from, from my mom and from my dad or, or something like that. But I always, uh, find it, found it pretty interesting when, when other pro triathletes, um, publish their training and their, and their data and, um, like it kind of, um, Yeah, connected me to them more and i got to sympathize uh, with with those with my idols and with those pro athletes more um who who were more transparent and published the training so i always had this this mission that like once i will be be as good um i also want the people to like um connect with me um just via the, the training i publish so right now, this is actually the main reason I am doing it. Is um, yeah, to have like, for example, with, with Strava, another basically social media platform where I can engage with my my followers. And it's just a publishing the training is just a really good way to um, yeah to engage with the fans and with the community. And um, I also hope like that um, most of my followers, they are, I think the same, um, can sympathize with me more, can connect with me more. Just because they have this, this connection over training, I mean, they c- could copy it. They can do the same. They just have an idea what I'm I'm doing on a, on a daily basis, and uh, yeah, I think it's it's really important as a professional athlete ath- athlete to um to take the, the followers uh, along and um not just do the sport uh, only only for yourself. Um, I mean. As a professional triathlete, like you don't really have a um, a benefit for um, yeah for for the, for the people out there um, other than inspire them and motivate them, and um, by publishing the training, I think you can do it just just better and. Um, when people see that you train so much, then maybe they will also be motivated to to go out for a jog or something. So that's the one hand side, and uh, on the other other hand, it's just good to be be transparent, have no secrets, and um, anyway, like people are always scared to share the tra- share their training, like mostly for the reason because uh, they don't want other pro athletes to see what what they're doing. But in my opinion, you. Um, You can't like just just copy the training or anything anyways because training is so highly individual Um, like for everyone something else works so yeah even when someone would just like copy the training um, each session by each session uh, for me there will be a completely different different output so um, i think there's there's nothing wrong or or dangerous um, by by publishing a training
0: yeah, I 100% agree with all of that. Like, really wholeheartedly, that it is a a really good way of uh, engaging with followers and and getting more interest in the sport and and just a more uh, interaction between professionals and and everybody else. Whether well, it could be between professionals and other professionals as well, and I think that would be great. Uh, the professionals could help each other get better by talking about what the training they're doing and so on. And, but also what you said, it doesn't really make sense to copy another person's program or you can do it, but it's not necessarily going to be the best thing for you. So I do, I do often wonder, do you think that when people choose not to share their data, is it because they think that they have a better program that they're afraid that other people will copy or is it because they, don't really want to tell other people what kind of shape they're in. They don't want people to see whether they're maybe really fit or maybe not as fit as they would like to be. Do you have any any thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think, yeah, and one... There are pro athletes doing it because they think, um, they have a good program, obviously, and they don't want any other to, or they don't want to share the secrets of that. And maybe they have something really special what they're doing, which really helps them to, to be that good. And they don't want anyone to see it, which I, of, of course, I respect. Like, um, I just want to add that I don't want to, to, to push anyone publishing a training because everyone has their own opinion about that. And I respect also the, the pro athletes who are, who are not publishing um their training for 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 their obvious reasons and i think one other main reason is also um the self confidence of the of the pro athletes like i think a lot of pros are not that um confident um like others think they are um because i think when uh, a lot of athletes are not publishing their training because it kind of puts uh, a pressure on them to perform in the race. Like for example, when they have a really great uh, s- let's say six-week training block um hitting um one good session after the other and um then obviously they have this pressure because everyone saw it how they were training and in which shape they're in. Um this and they have this pressure to perform in the race. And um yeah you know, f- some athletes um might not be able to to deal with that and they rather uh, train for yeah f- for their own. Um, don't share it, and then they can just just perform. And even when they're not performing well, no one knows uh, how they did before um, or how they were training. And then no one can say, "Oh, he was training so well the last six weeks, and now he wasn't wasn't performing well." And um, like, the, just the people have less um, less. Uh, let's say things to 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 hate on or um yeah you, as less you put out there on on social media or on strava or whatever um yeah as, as less the people can can talk about you obviously and yeah. um then you can only be when you're not when you're not performing well you, you didn't publish a training before then well everyone would just say okay he maybe didn't have his best day and then you can only have a like this bonus when you're performing well, then everyone is like, oh, he he performed really well. He must have been been training really good. And so you can't really have so much, much negative um, publicity um, when you're not publishing your training. But uh, yeah, like for example, I don't really care what uh, the people think there. So like when um, I'm publishing all my training and then um, I don't perform well, whilst uh, it's something anyways, like what I would have to, to think about if the people talk about it or not. And I had a really good six week training block and then I didn't don't perform well. Then anyways, I have to think of for myself, like, okay, what did I do wrong there? And it doesn't really matter if the people see it or not. But yeah, I think confidence is definitely a big part, um, which, which goes with, um, publishing the training. And uh, yeah, if you don't have the, the comp- confidence and can't deal with, with this pressure, um, of performing in in a race then um yeah it's understandable that that you you wouldn't um, share all your all your secrets
0: right yeah no that makes makes sense and uh, so as we're talking here in the middle of february and building up towards the the racing season uh, you posted quite recently on Instagram that you were uh, back in the lab doing some winter testing. So uh, can we discuss that? What did your lab testing consist of and um, what were the findings?
1: Yeah, of course. So um, first of all, it's important we do this this test already since um, yeah, 2019, um, twice per year, always uh, one in the winter after about two months of, of, of winter training and um then one in the summer in the middle of the of the racing season uh depending on the races whenever it, it fits in and uh so yeah it's important to say that i did this this specific test already now for the seventh or eighth time so um it's like when i get the results i immediately know how i am compared um, to the years before and um the Tests um, overall consist, like it starts with a, a 15 seconds um max test on the bike to um get the vla max um so basically yeah after that you you sit down on a chair and every minute you you get your your lactate uh, taken and um then it continues with a with a run test um it's 4 to 5 times uh, 5 minute um un- up until um lt2 Um, like threshold Um, so that so yeah like the the best would be if the last five minutes are like just over over your uh, lactate threshold uh, two and so it's basically a lactate lactate step test just like uh, everyone I think knows it and um, after that you got a VO2 max uh, ramp on on the run um, so yeah, just increasing the speed or the, or the gradient, uh, every few, every few seconds, uh, until you can't do it anymore. And then you got the view 2 max ramp on the bike as well. And yeah, with, with those four tests, you, you get all, all the data you need.
0: And do you do those tests, uh, all in the same lab session? Do you have some rest there in between some of the components or how is it structured?
1: um yeah i mean it's it's all four tests i mean it's never really long long tests um Mm. it's like the longest is obviously the the four to five times five minute on on the run but basically they are only the last uh two uh, steps are kind of hard um but before that it's mostly mostly still just easy running so you do all these four tests in like, yeah, two to three hours. Um, I mean, you can have as much break as you want. If you think you need more break, you can say, yeah, I just need 20 minutes more. And then you would do the test 20 minutes later. But like, for example, after the 15 second uh, bike sprint test, you don't need uh, so much rest. You can just go straight, yeah. or change clothes, go straight on a treadmill. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what, what, a, what is pretty good, I think, about this that you can just um get all the data in just uh, yeah 2 to 3 hours of course it's, it's still like a a solid solid training a day then like um we still always try to taper a little for it at least the days before and the day after or the days after also like for recovery we try to treat it a little bit like a like a race um but then it's it's not a not a big problem and you have all the data uh, you need yeah
0: yeah um and i I think it's important as well for context here to point out that uh, you're coached by dan lorang so he's been on the podcast before so so listeners know a little bit about uh he's we talked about testing with him as well so so it it all makes makes sense uh did you do this was dan in the lab with you doing this
1: uh no he he wasn't there i always go to um to high size um it's like a a german Mm -hmm. company there in a few different locations and yeah, they have this, this test procedure and I, I did this test already before I went, I was coached by, by Dan. And, and then we just said, okay, we just continue doing this. So we always just have the, the comparison, um, to, to the, to the test before and always know, uh, right. we always know immediately like where we stand.
0: Yeah. So, uh, what were your numbers? If you can share them.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, my thresholds, um, yeah, it's important to say I think they on the run they count the threshold with uh four millimole um mm. which I personally found find a little too high um like I think my my threshold would, isn't at four millimole so at the train at, in the training we when I measure lactate on the sessions um we treat it um, a little lower than that and um there I had a uh, 309 uh, minute per kilometer and uh on the bike um it's you know there you can like you get the view to max and you get the V L A max and they type these numbers in there in the inside uh, protocol and then you from that you they basically count your your threshold and uh, for there it is for me at 394 uh, watts
0: nice and how long do you think you could sustain 394 watts if you if you try to hold it for as long as you as you could
1: um I think it always depends like of course like on the on the time trial bike in, in aero position. Um <laughs> I think not not as long, but I mean I did the I did the test like on a um on a s uh, stationary trainer, so not my own bike. Um but if I like can do it on my own bike and uphill, I think I could do it maybe probably for an hour, I would say. Um but yeah, if it's it's if it's like flat, then it's already Already less probably. And then if it's a time trial or time trial position, uh, then it's, it's even less. Um, and anyway, done is, uh, always done. My coach is always really, really careful with that, of course. So when we type in training peaks, when we update the thresholds, we always like now I had 394. So he types in training peaks. He, um, for the threshold, he types in 385. <laughs> so yeah. we always yeah. like, um, take, take a little bit back um just to make sure i don't don't overdo it uh, in the sessions
0: yeah makes sense and how so you mentioned already you are using it, it to benchmark your progress compared to previous years that's obviously one of the benefits of doing testing um and you're getting your thresholds and your zones uh, training targets i assume is there anything else did you was there anything let's say that you found that uh, the test identified some kind of weakness or area for improvement that you now know that okay this is something that i need to go and, and work on
1: um yeah like my weakness is basically the same um which already since i have been since a few years is the is the vla max um like i don't think it's It's really bad. Like it could be worse, but it's also not where it should be for um, for for three and a half to four hours uh, of racing. Um, And on the other hand, my my VO two max is is okay. I would say it's obviously not as high as um, like the the Norwegians have, but um, it's 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 pretty solid. Especially we found out that like I um, yeah my body reacts pretty well for for VO two max training. So when I do like a few weeks of um, only VO2 max and, uh, low intensity, uh, aerobic training, then, um, my VO2 max can increase, uh, quite a bit. Um, but on the other hand, I always have to be careful to not go too hard also on the VO2 max training. So my, um, VLA max is, uh, not increasing that much. Um, because obviously it should be as low as possible for that, uh, long racing. And yeah, like now again in this test, uh, which I did. Oh uh, now uh, two weeks ago um I think my v two max was actually as as good as ever and but um my v l m max was like wasn't worse but also wasn't wasn't improved um since the last time i did the test so now we, now that we know that we know what we have to work on before we start uh, start racing
0: so what was the v l a max and the v r two max
1: so uh, on on the bike the VlA VlA max was zero uh, point five, um, exactly. So yeah, that's that's a bit high, I think. For example, um, pro cyclists usually have I think like zero point two or or even lower. Um, and then uh, the VO two max was um, like the absolute um, was six thousand two hundred. Um if I remember well. But um yeah, as a, in the winter I'm pretty heavy. It just in the end it came out like was just eighty. So just by losing weight uh, for the season, um the the relative VO2 max will definitely in, increase there a bit yet. Mm. Um but yeah, that was pretty good, especially because um we didn't really do too much VO2 max uh sessions before the test. So um, yeah, we were quite surprised about that high VO2 max. And um, I'm also happy with it because I'm not such a big fan of VO2 max training. I prefer the, the long, um, tempo sessions or threshold sessions. So, um, now that we have the results, I'm looking forward to a nice block of, um, yeah, like LT1 and LT2 training.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that, 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 makes sense. I, I also am not a big fan of the VO2 maxing Um, <laughs> Let's go into each of the disciplines and talk a bit about how you how you train. Uh, you can give kind of an overview of of yeah what your training looks like. So starting with the with the swim, what does that look like for you?
1: Um so swim is actually um I'm actually coaching myself more or less. Like Dan writes me down the, the distance and the, the intensity I should I should should do um for each day of the week. But, um, the plans I'm always completely, um, writing myself. And yeah, since lower, like almost two years, um, I found out pretty well what, what works for me and what doesn't. And, um, yeah, for swimming, I really need to swim, um, a lots of freestyle. That's, or lots of, uh, yeah, specific, um, triathlon, triathlon training. Like, for example, when I, when I swim a lot of, a lot of drills or, um, medley, it just doesn't help me at all. Just doesn't help me get, get fitter or, or faster in the water. But, um, yeah, like on the easy sessions, uh, even when I just swim, let's say the simple things, um, like four by 1K, uh, easy freestyle, it just, uh, really helps me a lot. Um, gives me a lot of, a lot of, gives me a lot of strength. And, um, also on the intervals. Um, I'm always going pretty well with, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of threshold sessions, um, or below threshold and also short rest or, or longer intervals. And maybe if I have like overall a 3k at threshold, let's say 15 times, uh, 200, uh, for example, with like 10 to 15 second uh, rest, which is also one of my, my favorite, uh, swim sessions, um, it also helps me when I just put on put on the pedals for the last uh, last five, just to to get uh, some more strength uh, in the end of the set. And yeah, basically for swimming as simple as sim- more simple as as better it is for me. And uh, yeah, it really helped me a lot. I just got more um, yeah economic in in swimming. My my technique got better, um, especially for 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 the open water. And um, yeah. And in, in the, in the race, I can just get out of the water and, um, I won't, I won't be on my limit. And I can just push the bike from the beginning. Like that's what is important. Like in the race, I always try to, to swim as conservative as possible and not as fast as possible. Because I think, um, yeah, especially in swimming, if you swim like 20 seconds faster, it costs you so much energy, but you only gain like 20 seconds. And so rather I try to save energy there and with the same en- energy, um, which I could use for 20 seconds faster swimming, I can probably uh, bike one to two minutes faster. So, um, and that's obviously a bigger impact on on the overall time and, and performance.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, what about, you mentioned the easy swimming, the threshold and sub threshold. How often do you do, is it, is it quite uncommon for you to do like really hard, let's say VO2 max swim sets or faster sprint sets and so on, or is it something that you still do uh, somewhat regularly?
1: Uh, no, I, I still do it. It's always depending on, on the block and also um, if it matches to to the bike and run what we are doing in that block. So uh, especially in the winter um, when we do a lot of VO2 max on, on the bike and on the run, um, I also swim a little harder uh, of course but mm. if i do like um via to swim sessions i never go um, longer than than 100 meter and um mostly do do 50s i just have to be careful just to not um yeah be in the red zone too much otherwise like my my technique um gets worse and like yeah, like I said, like in the race, it's not about, uh, swimming as fast as possible, the, the 1.9 K, but more like as economic as, as possible. So, um, yeah, you, you need the, uh, the fast swimming basically only for, um, for, for the start to get a good position. And of course, to, to put uh, put the ceiling high to get the V2 max high. But, uh, that I'm doing anyways, uh, with, with the, with the bike and, of the run uh, and the run like the other view to max also of course impacts the impacts the swimming and uh, but i still do um, also sprints um, especially i do sprints also after a long um, easy endurance swim like in in the end just to wake up the body again like of just like in a run you do strides i do some uh, sprints in the water but uh, yeah i have to I have to limit it uh, for myself to not do more than more than 100 meter uh, in one so for example um, when i go for for v2 max swimming i think the most i do is like uh, let's say the hardest session i did was two times ten times hundred best average so yeah that's that's the the maximum of v2 max i do in the water (laughs)
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's a very solid session still. Um, and what about the volume or how much oral, uh, volume are you putting in on the swim and, and, or how many, uh, swims per week do you get that volume?
1: So in a normal training week, it's, um, it's about five swims per week. Um, and the volume this way is between 20 and, uh, 25 kilometer on average, yeah.
0: Let's move on to the bike. Uh, how, yeah, how, how do you structure your bike training?
1: So the bike training, I really, and also, also the other training, but especially in the bike training, I have, um, so much trust uh, in Dan because, uh, you know, he's also coaching, um, coach of the Bora Hans-Gruhe, uh, cycling team. So he really has a, a big idea about that. And it also works for me really well. Like maybe we have to, to say before that, On a bike, I think I'm, I'm pretty talented. So it was always like that since I'm doing triathlon that never mind what I'm, I'm doing on a bike. I somehow, um, keep, keep getting better. And, um, yeah, now under done, um, we, in the winter, we try to, to focus on, on VO2 max. Um, but of course, like I said, there I have to be careful to not to overdo the VO2 max, just really stay in the, in that um, via to max zone and not get too, um, anaerobic. And, um, and then as closer we get to the season, we do, um, yeah, some low cadence threshold work, um, a lot and like longer, um, LT, LT one sessions. And then we get close to the race season. Um, yeah, of course, a lot of, a lot of race pace. So, it's it's actually pretty simple um no no secrets and uh the other volume is about um yeah i'd say like 400k in in a in a normal normal training week or like 12 to between 12 to to 15 hours and um yeah in the in the winter i actually do 100% on my road bike and um just like end of March, beginning of April, I switch to my TT bike, and uh, then I do like ninety percent from that uh, on on my TT bike, and ten percent, which is recovery, I do on my either my my gravel bike or my or my road bike.
0: Mm, yeah, uh, a couple of follow up questions on that. So when you do the VO2 max sessions during winter. Is there do you do both longer intervals like three four minutes and shorter thirty seconds to one minute, or or is there a preference for one one over the other?
1: So my preference actually would be the the longer intervals, um like for example four by five minutes, um just best average or something like that, or like VO two max. But uh, with Dan we almost never do that. <laughs> we um, mostly go for this classic. Um, three by 10 times, 30, 30 or 40, 20. So 40 seconds, hard 20 seconds, easy. Um, so yeah, you basically spend, um, almost 10 minutes then in your, in your view, to max zone. So yeah, that's, that's the classic session, uh, uh, we do most.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and when you do those low cadence threshold sessions, What is a typical, what is an example of that kind of session? And also what is an example when you do the race-specific sessions, if you can give one example of each?
1: So when it's like threshold, um, like we always usually have like between 45 and one hour, 15 minutes uh, total spent in that uh, zone per session. And um, yeah, we do that like, we do like intensive bike sessions like twice per week. In a, in a normal training week or a normal training block and um yeah and it's usually always like for example really simple like four by 15 minutes or uh five by 10 minutes five by 12 minutes um like low cadence a threshold sometimes you also mix it up like uh, especially in the um in race season like one week before the race i have a standard session which is 45 minute at race pace and then two by 10 minute uh, low cadence um, at threshold so faster than race pace also and um, yeah, for the threshold i found that mm. it really helps me also sometimes to do that uh indoors um on the tt position because i'm i mean outdoors it's pretty tough always logistically to um, do it in tt position and if you if i'm pushing like uh 370, 380 watts. And I have to go with a, um, cadence of 50 to 55 RPM. It's, yeah, it's logistically not easy to find a, a place where you can do that because, uh, yeah, in the flat, you would need a really, really high, um, gearing. And if it's getting like too hilly or too steep, you can't really keep the error position well. So. It's sometimes pretty good to do that uh, on a home trainer. You can just go um, the cons- consistent pace and uh, cadence. And it really helps me a lot also to to um, get used to the error position um, when I do this the strength uh, session indoor.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and the race-specific workout, if you can give an example of that.
1: Um, yeah, like... For example, that, yeah, that 45 minute, uh, race pace. Um, which what we do the week? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. And, but also, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it was basically the same, like the, the located and threshold sessions. Um, it's also like, can be like three by, by 20 minute race pace or, um, it's, it's often like a little faster than race pace. Um, so if we count my race pace at like 340 watts, then we might do the session at, at three hundred and fifty to three hundred sixty watts. Um because obviously like three by twenty minutes, for example, is, is one hour. It's also like uh yeah, it's easier than uh two hours uh in the race spent at three hundred to three hundred forty watts. Um like yeah we don't really do more than than one hour um fifteen minutes um spent at, at race pace or, or threshold. And of course it's always really important to to feel the sessions uh really well. Uh, with uh, the nutrition I also take in the race.
0: Mm, yeah. Okay. Perfect. And uh, then finally, moving on to the run. If you can uh, describe your run training.
1: So it's it's the same like like on a bike. Um, on the winter, we we focus on the VO2 max. Uh, mostly, we do that with um, with hill sessions. So, uh, thirty seconds to one minute, and from there we do. Quite quite a lot of reps, and uh, then we as as we get closer to to race season, we also do sometimes longer hill reps, uh, which is actually one of my favorite sessions. For example, five by eight minute uphill, um, just like just under threshold, and uh, it's a lot of fun because I re- I grew up in the mountains, so I really love uh, running uphill, <laughs> and. Yeah, then we, we go, and then when we go into the race specific part, um, yeah, we do just this classic sessions like, like the, um, 1k reps or, or 2k reps, or also like, which is a classic session is four by 3k. Um, or when we do, um, 1k reps is often like, uh, always a block of three, um, which is always like one below race pace, one race pace, and one at threshold. And so basically, one to three uh, progressive, and this block of three, we do like um, three, two, to five times.
0: Yeah, and how long how long will the recoveries be uh, in between the reps in in those blocks?
1: Oh yeah, like so in a VO two max in, in the winter, like on the hills, it's just always like jogging back down, which is usually like uh, like a minute or, or something like that and for for the longer intervals um like logistically for for the long hill reps it's the, when you do it on a treadmill you can do short recovery of like 2 minutes or, or or less when you do it outside it's a pretty little bit more difficult unless you have a really long hill when you can just run always run like a little bit back down and then even more up um and for the for the 1k reps it's um yeah one to one and a half minute uh recovery but the recovery we always do uh, running so we never do like stand standing recovery un- unless i'm i'm checking my lactate but we always try to to keep running mm. uh, during the whole session
0: yeah okay uh, and uh, running wise uh what is your volume like
1: um so running i would say it's the the lowest from all compared uh, to, to other pros, uh, let's say. So on the swimming, on the bike, I think I'm, I'm there where the others are. But on the running, I have an average volume of like 60 to 70 uh, kilometer per week, um, which is not that much. Um, of course, we the main reason is we want uh, to stay consistent and we don't want to get injured. So we, we're tr- just trying to be careful and build it up, uh, up really slow. Um, on the other hand, both done and me know that I'm, um, that my, my body reacts really well to, um, high volume. So we want to keep that as a, as a joker <laughs> for, for later in the career when nothing else works anymore. We just, uh, push up the volume and then, um, I'm pretty sure getting, getting even better in running. And of course, like running is also, my my weakness um yeah it's no, it's no secret when you when you look at the results but um yeah i think i have a lot of potential there um but we just try to to not um, rush the things like we are really focused on building a long-term career and if i ramp up the, the volume now on the run then um, we don't know if we if i come i would progress now for the next years for sure but we don't know if it would would be good um if i still want to progress in like five years or ten years uh, from now so um yeah we really try to get the most out of it um with with not so much volume and then when we realize that um my my performance stagnates then we will start to to ramp up the, the volume slowly
0: yeah, that sounds like a smart approach, and uh, good to have that kind of patience. Um, can we uh, can we talk through your last full week of training? So, yeah, again, we're talking on the sixteenth of February, so that would have been the second week of February, more or less. Do you, can you run us through uh, the overall volume of the week, and and then basically go through Monday Monday to Sunday, just briefly what you what you did each day.
1: So maybe the the last week um might not might not be the the most interesting as it was <laughs> was a recovery week so um we can, and, this uh, week
0: maybe if if you have yeah this week could,
1: could be fine. i think like the week before that might be interesting because i was also still okay. in um sure still in in training camp uh, in uh, in Mallorca. yeah so um yeah yeah i'm just gonna go through that once okay yeah, so monday is always um uh, recovery day so there i only i only swim um in this case it was a 5000 meter of of easy swimming um i don't remember now which was the session because usually if it's like easy session i don't really write 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 it down but probably was a pretty pretty simple simple plan with with long endurance like i said before uh so yeah it was like five k swim um on that um that's it. Nothing. Nothing more on that day. Um, then on on the tu- on Tuesday, um, the first session was uh, a swim again, which was uh, via to max. The main set was um, ten times fifty meter um, at fifty five seconds exit. Uh, it was always thirty five meter um, via to max and fifteen meter easy, and. For that, I needed like uh, I needed thirty four seconds. Um, then it was eight times fifty meter at VO two max, so the whole fifty meter at fifty seconds exit. For that, I needed uh, thirty one second, and then the last set was six times hundred meter, uh, seventy five meter at VO two max, and twenty five meter easy um, at one thirty exit. And for that hundreds, I needed uh, one oh eight, so including the the twenty five easy in the end. So it was overall a 4K um, swim set. Uh, then I had a, a bike session of um, 2 hour and 37 minutes um, in the in the mountains of um, yeah Mallorca. And it was with a 3 by 20 minute at LT1. And I did those at uh, 336, 349 and 350 Watts, um, on the road bike and, um, uphill. So that wasn't, wasn't too hard. I actually measured lactate and it was at, um, 1.4 after the first one and, uh, 1.6 after the last one. So yeah, after after that um that bike session I had a, a quick run of the bike which was uh, twenty minute, five kilometer um just yeah, f- faster, easy, faster aerobic pace. Um yeah, we tried to do a little bit more um run of the bikes um this this winter and summer um just because we al- realized that that last, last year, my my running, uh, the main problem was always the first ten kilometer after the bike, and the second half was usually really good. Um, so yeah, we just try to to get more used to running off the bike, so maybe I get into into the running uh, better uh, on on the 70.3s, on the races. Um, then on Wednesday, um, we I started with a with morning run um, with four by two thousand meter lt one, um, which I did uh, on on trails, so um, just did it basically for feeling. The pace was there about like three forty per kilometer, and between that was always uh, four hundred meter of of easy jog. I didn't measure lactate or anything, so we really just did it for feeling and and heart rate. And then we had a, a easy aerobic swim five thousand meter and a two and a half hour easy ride. Um, Again, through the mountains in the winter, always try to collect um, as much elevation as possible with the road bike. And then on Thursday, we had a long um, aerobic day, um, starting with a one hour, uh, 14 kilometer easy run and then a five hour and 20 minute easy ride. Uh, Friday was rest day again um, with a four and a half K easy swim and uh, a 33 minute easy run with 10 by 100 meter uh, strides in the end to get ready for for the next day um then saturday started with a with a harder run um i remember i felt really really good um on on that run session um the main set was 10 was it was a fart leg. the main set was 10 times one and a half minute um just above threshold and a three minute float um So like the three minute between were also at 3.45 pace and the one and a half minute threshold were between 3.10 and 3.05 pace. So pretty solid, solid fart leg. Um, Overall, one hour, 10 and uh, 19 kilometers. Then I had a cool down spin uh, on the bike, just one and a half hours, really easy. And a four and a half K uh, easy swim in the evening. And then the Sunday was was pretty packed um, with a forty five minute and ten k morning run, and then uh, um, a a five k yeah harder swim or not too hard was like a like a tempo swim, where the main set was um, five by two hundred meter, um, like tempo to sweet spot. I uh, just have to add that um, we swam short course meters there, so um if when i'm in germany or um yeah i usually swim long course meters so that was was kind of nice to swim quite quite some times quite some faster times it's good good for the confidence to swim uh swim short course meters i had a yeah five by 200 at 245 exit i swam at two twenty five to 24 and very controlled and then a two by 50 meter uh, via to max at 50 exit with um th- which I in 31 second and then 300 meter easy um with pull boy and this whole set i spam two times so two times the five by 200 plus two times 50 and uh, yeah then i finished with a uh, with easy three by 300 and um then on then we had a three hour uh, bike session in the afternoon um I remember that my 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 di two got di two got uh, empty on the warm up, so I had to turn back, charge it for twenty minutes, and then get back out, uh, and do the session. And uh, yeah, it was uh, three hours with four by twelve minute um, at threshold and low cadence, and the cadence um, should be between forty five and fifty five. Yeah. So yeah, that's quite low. And i did the four by twelve minute at um yeah all at like three hundred seventy watts, and then i again had a short short transition run of uh, fifteen minute uh three point seven k and yeah, that was it uh for the week, <laughs> so it was yeah it was um actually twenty twenty eight kilometers uh, of swimming yeah um it's seven seven hour twenty minutes. Then on a bike um, was four four hundred five kilometer uh, f- in fourteen hours and fifty-one minute and was seven thousand three hundred thirty-six meter of uh, elevation gain. On the run was uh seventy-three and a half kilometer and five hours three minutes. Overall was twenty-seven hours and fourteen minutes and the training stress score in training peaks um was one thousand four hundred. 56 so that was uh pretty much one of my my um, higher volume weeks so um it doesn't get more doesn't get more than that uh, throughout the year
0: okay yeah and uh one more follow-up on that when you were talking about your easy bikes what, what would typically your power your average power be for an easy aerobic bike ride when uh, when you go and ride in the mountains in the winter
1: so, um, like, I don't like to go um, too easy on the bike. Like, I try to go, uh, of course, keep it in the in the easy zone. But I also don't want every every of my rides like being a recovery ride. So I still like to to push it a little um, up the hills or, or something like that. Of course, it shouldn't shouldn't get any hard, and it should always be be easy. But like average power um, through the mountains um, is typically something between 210 and 220 watts um which normalized power is then obviously like uh, between 240 and 250 watts because like up the hills we are usually going with like or well, I'm usually going with like 270 to 280 and then of course just just roll roll down the hill yeah that
0: makes sense um and uh, on the bike so is, do you do a lot of work on aerodynamics did have you done wind tunnel testing or any other kind of aero testing and is that something that you continuously work on uh
1: yeah for sure so um first um first i have to add that i'm uh, pretty like like flexible uh in terms of terms of aero position so um the first time i sat on a, on a time trial bike i didn't have too much idea yet about aerodynamics, but um, of course I thought of it. So I I just um, put uh, down put all the spaces out in the front and have just like and put put this uh, the saddle to the to like just over the um, over the cranks. So just a really really aggressive error position error position. But um, I could keep it for the for the whole ninety k. So I never had a problem with like. Uh, keeping positions or anything even though it might have looked uh, really uncomfortable from, from from the outside but I'm lucky that I'm uh, quite stretchable in my hip flexors and uh, um, in, in my in my back um, but yes instead of course I learned quite a lot about aerodynamics and um, you always continue improving it um, like I think for now I have found a, found a pretty good, good position um, which actually mostly uh, found out by myself um, just, just by test, testing it myself and going out there. Um, I usually have some, uh, Strava segments, uh, I'm riding like out and back and then just stack, it, uh, checking the, the, speed to, to power ratio. And that's how most of the times I check like equipment or position. But of course, I'm also going, um, try to go to the wind tunnel or, um, onto the, onto the track. Um, with my sponsors to to check the material, um, yeah, check if when they have new stuff, and always try to to get as as, as fast as possible. And uh, yeah, I think my like my my CDA is um, pretty sure uh, one of the better ones in the pro field, um, especially when I when I see my power and then and compare to to pr, um, other pros who publish their power, um, I always um one of the guys with the lowest power but always one of the fastest so um i think they're yeah, on a on a pretty good way
0: yeah just looking at the 703 world championship results you were the second fastest bike split with 2 hours and 40 seconds and uh, as people know that was in St George and that is not a uh not a not an easy course there's a lot of elevation there even though yeah. it is a course that you can ride fast on so it, it shows that you definitely have, but of course, power has to be there to, to ride at that speed, but also aerodynamics. Um, do you have any, is there something that has surprised you a lot when in terms of aerodynamics, like something that you did not expect that, oh, this position was actually fast or this piece of equipment was was a faster than you thought or something like that?
1: So um, right now it would be pretty logical for me, but when I first time, um, like, in the beginning I thought as lower you are in the in the front as, as faster you are. <laughs> um, but then when the first time I, um, actually went, took some more spaces under, under the arrow, um, arrow bars. And then actually my, um, arrow position even improved, or my like CDA even improved. And I was riding even more comfortable. Um, like in the beginning it was for sure surprising me, but, now that we are, um, yeah, more advanced in terms of, um, idea of aerodynamics and everything is, of course, pretty, pretty logically because like, um, just the, the hole between your, um, arms and your, and your head, um, actually gets smaller. And also like your, your, your back is more straight and just overall the air has a better flow, um, at your body. And, uh, of course, even better when, when the helmet is, helmet is matching to the position as well. But, um, yeah, I think. Like in the beginning, it was surprising to me, but um, yeah, now when when you think about it, it's actually not not so surprising at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, some equipment questions: What are your preferred racing shoes, and uh, what wetsuit and dry suit are you racing in?
1: Um, I mean, of course, um, the stuff I'm sponsored sponsored by and what I'm wearing is also the stuff what I, I really prefer. So, like, I always try to go with. With sponsors only where I'm really um happy with the products so um on the ru- on the run um with the new um on uh, carbon shoes and um oh, oh, yeah wetsuit wetsuit i i'm I'm sponsored by hoop i'm I'm really really happy with with the wetsuit it's really flexible and it really suits me really, really good and uh also like like Tri Suit, uh, the Castelli one is also really fast uh, in terms terms of aeronomics and and also really really comfortable.
0: Yeah, and uh, you uh, you meant when, when we went through your week, there was a training camp in Mallorca and uh, you spent a few weeks there. How, how many weeks were you on Mallorca in this li- recent training camp?
1: So in the in the recent one, it was two and a half weeks, and but I was already for. Um, starting my training in december was the, the first three weeks um of the season or of the training i was already there uh, so overall it was five right. and a h- five and a half, half weeks now in uh, december and in january
0: yeah so can you tell us more about what do you like about training in mallorca but also you mentioned that you are going to girona so what what is it uh yeah Tell, tell us more about Mallorca, but also other places that you like going to for training camps and, and what are the pros and cons of the different places that you that you go to?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, as a triathlete, of course, it's not that easy to find a perfect place for training because on the, you, need a, you need a swimming pool. Um, ideally, you have a 50 meter uh, swimming pool. Um, you need perfect cycling cycling loops and you also need need, need trails um, or track or nice running routes um so all that together it's never so easy to to find the, the perfect training location but um yeah mallorca is, is really nice in the winter months until yeah un- I would, until i would say april um, after that in the summer months is probably on the one side it's it's getting too hot and on the other side it's way too crowded and traffic full um, but uh, yeah because it's like a, a famous uh, tourist tourist location in europe um, especially also for for germans <laughs> and uh, but yeah in the winter month it's it's amazing there it's really cycling paradise you have um, beautiful uh, roads through the mountains you can also ride ride flat if you'd like and um yeah there's just no traffic at all or like barely any traffic and uh, the people living there are also really really nice with cyclists they are used to them a lot of pro cyclists also also training there um, because it's just so perfect for cycling um i stayed in in palma nova which is a little bit uh, west from from palma de mallorca and um yeah there's also like a 25 meter indoor swimming pool and the, the running was also pretty good there and um the only thing in the winter months, like in December, I was really lucky with the weather. It was actually 20 degrees and sunny. So I could ride um, short sleeved and on a bike. And But in January, we already had like, it was already a little bit worse. It was really cold in the morning. And one week, we also had a lot of rain. So that's the only thing in the winter months you can be a bit unlucky with the weather. And uh yeah if that's something what what's more important that you can ride in really warm weather outside in the winter months then for Europeans the best location is probably the, the canary islands like lanzarote or uh, fuerteventura um which is pretty famous uh, amongst amongst the triathletes um which i am not a big fan of because i find the cycling there is, is pretty boring for me the priority is more um uh, the cycling, cycling routes. And if it's a few degrees colder, um, yeah, it does, doesn't really matter for me. It's, it's okay. If, uh, if I have to wear a little bit more, but have better, better cycling routes. So yeah, that's my number one priority when, when I'm searching for, for training locations. But yeah, on, um, Sunday, we are leaving for five weeks training camp to Girona and. Yeah, I mean Girona is, is also pretty pretty famous now for, for triathletes, but it's it's mostly because the triathlon training there is it's close to perfect. Um you have the 50 meter pool, um, you have really nice running trails and um also the cycling there. You you can go for a four-hour ride and not see a, a single car if you're lucky. So um yeah, it's it's really amazing. And also the, the, the lifestyle there um next to training in, in Girona, the city is it's pretty amazing. You have a lot of good, uh, good coffees. You, you have now a lot of other triathletes training there. You can meet up uh, for sessions, meet up for coffee. So uh, it's always nice to come back there, and I always really, really enjoy the time there.
0: And uh, do you uh, do you use altitude camps as well? Is that something that you've done?
1: Yes, um, we started it like yeah two years ago now, and we all we try to do like two uh two times per year three to four weeks attitude camp and uh, like before the first race we um go up to uh, sierra nevada um which is also really good for training um i really like it up there others might say it's really boring but i don't know because of the mountains i really feel um, feel good up there and don't find it boring even when you have to do a lot of indoor sessions, but um, we also have a 50 meter pool um, on 2,400 meters. Uh, Attitude, um, yeah, which is pretty amazing. It's it's really tough for sure, but it also helped me a lot. Uh, that's why we, we we keep keep doing it. I really try, really um, benefit from from Attitude. And then in the summer, we we always try to go a little bit lower, like around 2,000 or um under like i was already in Lavindio, or last year before the 70.3 world champs i was in utah in, in park city it's like north of st george and that was also pretty cool, cool pretty cool for training and um yeah it just it was about 2100 meters um of attitude and i really enjoy attitude training because like even when you you actually have to go easier um so the training somehow feels easier, but, um, when you're up there for quite some time, you really feel, feel the benefit. And then when you come down for me, it's always like, um, the first days are not as good. Like when I come right off attitude, I'm not performing so well, but after one week, uh, one week, I really, um, really benefit from it. And then it usually goes on for about, uh, three or four weeks where I really have this, yeah, this, this attitude boost.
0: Yeah. When, when would you, if, if you are using altitude in preparation for a key race, when would you come down from altitude before that race?
1: So, um, that, that's also a thing what we learned last year. So the first time I went up, um, to attitude, it was three week camp in Sierra Nevada. And of course we had no idea how it would um, benefit me or how we should do it so we we took some risks and risks and also tried out a few things so we took um one race right after attitude so i was basically coming down and flying to challenge gran canaria and um it didn't work out well for me so i felt really flat um on that race on that day um, I don't want to say generally that it wouldn't work for me because it also could have been that it's, was the first race of the season. And that's usually something which I'm not good at. Like I need a few, need one, one or two races to, to just get into, uh, into racing and, um, to get a little bit more, more tough. So we don't know if it was the attitude, but since that we don't really, we didn't really took that risk anymore. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had, yeah, like three to four weeks after attitude, I really felt like I was flying. So they also had really good results. So that always, but every attitude camp seemed to work pretty well for me. Um, so last year we um, tried to do the same. We tried to go down three weeks before um, import, the first important race, which was the championship in uh, submarine. But then I had one week, after one week coming down from, from attitude, I had actually had an Olympic distance in Germany. And um, yeah, we didn't really, it doesn't didn't really matter actually how I performed there. It was more like to get into racing, um, to have not the important race as first race of the season. But then on that day, I was actually really benefiting from the attitude. I really felt it and I was flying over the course and I won the race um, pretty easily. Um, and then I was also looking back at the last year data um so how I was actually performing like one week um after coming down from attitude and also there the training data data looked really promising so um we found out that like one week after coming down from attitude is um actually working really well for me like from there that's usually the start for me um that I'm really um, yeah, getting this, this boost from, from the attitude. Um, so we aimed, um, for the same, uh, for, for the 72ers Championship. When I was going to Park City, I was up there for four and a half weeks and then coming down, um, one week before, before the race. But then sadly, I didn't have, uh, this, the, the attitude boost, uh, we hoped for. And at the end of the season, we, we tried to analyze it why, why I didn't have it there and why I had it in the year, in the beginning of the year in Sierra Nevada. And, uh, yeah, we found out that just like a Sierra Nevada is always the end of the, of the winter block. So when I'm going up there, I always have the, a really, really solid, uh, base. And then I'm hitting this attitude block coming down. And one week later, I'm ready to, ready to hit the races. But, um yeah, when I was going up to Park City, I had a a big racing block before that, so I didn't really had have this aerobic base um which means probably the attitude was hitting a little harder on me, and uh I would have had would have need um longer time to um to adjust again to 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 sea level or and get this boost and I was even feeling it like because after the centralstewards, I had off season and then yeah, I had like off-season of, uh, of three three weeks when I started training again. And I I felt like the, the starting training f- never felt so easy. Like I really felt that I had this attitude boost four weeks later. Um, just the problem was there was no race or anything. <laughs> and so, yeah, we just really have to be careful when we are doing like a race um, one week after attitude that I really go up. To uh, up to the uh, up to attitude with a really solid base. So, for example, now again in April, I will have a three to four weeks attitude camp again before the first race. But, um, of course, now in the winter, I'm training a, um, a lot of, yeah, do getting a lot of base in and then, um, it should, should work out fine coming down uh, one week before. Otherwise, we would always go for the safe options or uh, safe option of coming down, uh, three weeks before, but. I actually would love to try once again, um, maybe do a race right after attitude and see how that works again.
0: Yeah, but well, that's a lot of really interesting thoughts and and really interesting to hear about how you found that.
1: Yeah, and maybe the that.
0: base that you have. Yeah, I yeah maybe sorry, should, go
1: maybe should should add about that. It's like really um, the only thing we we try to measure it. Um, I mean, we also try to take blood volume and the uh, hemoglobin and everything, but. We couldn't really find anything um, to to really really measure the attitude, uh, but it was only all about feeling. And uh, so, attitude training is so individual, and everyone reacts different for it. So I think, like my approach wouldn't work like that probably for 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 anyone else, or not for everyone else. And so, it's really just about trying out, and it's you can't really explain how or why (laughs) so we really found it out just by 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 testing and experimenting
0: and what do you use when you're at altitude to control the intensity and the stress do you do you rely on on heart rate or rpe or lactate or a combination of all of them because obviously if you push the same power or the same pace as you do at sea level then that could be too much of a stress.
1: Um, yeah, it's a combination of all of them. So the, the most important factor is always, always feeling. Um, but an attitude your feeling can quite, uh, different to the numbers. So for example, for me, um, on, on the run, I can't really use my feeling because it can feel pretty easy, but it can already be, um, above threshold. So there it's pretty important that I measure the, measure the lactate and use my heart rate and um just always compare those numbers and um just try to aim for um yeah controlled in- intensity with the lactate so um yeah an attitude is definitely definitely the the place um where we use lactate the most and the main reason why i why i bought myself a, a lactate meter um, to check it so um yeah i think that you have the feeling only is um it's not enough like But for example, on sea level, I could pace all my sessions with feeling and I could tell you pretty spot on if that's threshold or not. But on attitude, on a bike, it would work. I think there's the feeling is usually matching my, my lactate, but, um, on the run, it's always really interesting that I'm, I'm kind of running almost easy, but my lactate is already at threshold. So, so there I really have to be careful and control the intensity
0: yeah what about heat uh, training and heat preparation is that something that you have done when uh, preparing for different races that will be in hot conditions
1: not really yet um so the only heat race i did or at least tried to do uh, but it wasn't too successful in the end because i had a pretty bad day was the pto us open in, in dallas last year but um yeah we didn't do like like a specific heat prep for it i mean yeah i was i was doing like a three to four sessions per week um the the month or like four to five weeks prior that race which were like um i was trying to adapt to the heat and was also going to the sauna after that's after sessions and that stuff but we weren't really getting into it um that much or that deep um i don't know if it would have would have helped. Better me for me to prepare the race, but I think in the end it was other reasons uh, why I didn't feel so good on that on that day, and it, it wasn't the heat, so I also can't really tell if it worked or not. But um, other than that, we never really had uh, like a um, like a heat race um, with high humidity or anything. Only the only the European heat, but um, I'm not really preparing for for it other than um, sometimes doing my my sessions midday and and then of course um go you have to go a little slower um check lactate check heart rate uh yeah always being careful with the intensity in the heat and of course uh drink and drink a lot but um yeah we never ha- really have done um, um yeah like a deep heat prep for any race so maybe once i start in, in kona we will <laughs> definitely do that probably
0: what about singapore the the PTO uh, Asian Open that it's in August I think I don't I don't I, I assume I think Singapore is mm-hmm. always hot and humid right so yeah do you yeah, think you'll do anything specific for that
1: mm-hmm. um, yeah it might be a, um, you know the 70.3 World Championship um, in in, in Lahti in Finland is yeah. one one week after that um, yeah and for now um, we actually said that we focus on, on the 70.3 World Championship um so we wouldn't do like if i would do for singapore it's also not true this way it's not sure if the that i'm doing it um because i think it might be might be tough to combine those two races because you have two different two completely different time zones you have big travel um to singapore uh and back and then you have the central Super championship um the week later and also the heat race um yeah would take a lot f- from you so um yeah this might be a reason to actually skip um the asian open this year and um mm-hmm. focus on the 70.3 worlds and but if we do uh, singapore then not with uh like too much heat prep because the focus is rather on the 70.3 worlds the, the week later
0: all right yeah makes sense so uh I want to do a little quick fire round with some just getting some numbers and data from you if that's okay. So, yeah. I if there's if there's something that you don't have available or don't really know then just pass on it and we move on to the next one, but first, uh, let's start with your total training hours in 2022 and if you also have your percentage of swim, bike and run uh, for those hours.
1: Um yeah, I actually wrote it down in my notes um oh yeah here it is so overall i had uh, 992 hours um of training um from that was 240 hours and 30 minutes in the water um 491 hours and 13 minutes on a bike and 223 hours and 54 minutes um on the run
0: and your best vo2 max ever measured
1: um it was was now in uh, the, the last test was uh, 81
0: and the best 400 meter swim time or if you haven't an, uh, done another distance time trial more commonly than whatever time trial you usually use
1: so I think my best 400 meter time on long course meters is um, was last year in a lactate uh, step test. Um, so like the fifth 400 was 432. Um, so I think I could swim faster if I do like only w- a 400 meter um, time trial. But yeah, I think w- yeah, once I did a 900, 900 meter short course meters time trial, which was 901.
0: Yeah, so that would be, um, yeah, fast. I'm not going to do the math, but the listeners <laughs> can do that. <laughs> and uh, 73, best 7.3 bike power?
1: Um, it was at Challenge St. Pölten uh, 2021. I had um, 340 watts average, and um, it was a helicore, so all was 360 watts normalized power.
0: And your best standalone running performance?
1: Um, like I did a five k time trial in 2020, um, like during the COVID time, uh, which was fourteen uh, forty seven and ten uh, k. Um, I had just above um, thirty one minutes um, at the, but it was just with like beginning of the season with like six weeks of training in 2000 yeah 2019 i think so I, th- I think i could do faster than that um especially when in that time when i ran at 14 uh, 47 i think i could have done a pretty good 10k as well but yeah that's the mm. the only two um uh yeah times i have actually from, from running or oh, 3000 meter i have yeah. 836 that was actually i had one year where i did a few track races so, yeah, that, that was 3,000 meters. But, yeah, I don't really have more running times than that.
0: Yeah, no, those are great. And your typical carbohydrate intake uh, in grams per hour in racing?
1: Um, so, I try to, to average um, 120 to 130 grams per hour. But um, I try to take most of that on a bike. So, basically, on a bike, I take um, 150 50 grams per hour. Um, and then on the run, um, a little less. So I have this 120 to 130 grams per hour average.
0: And the typical sleep duration per day, including both nighttime sleep and naps.
1: You you want to know uh, what I aim for, or you want to know my what I actually get? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you can give me give me both, give me both. <laughs>
1: so, um, um, yeah. I, I am wearing the, the aura ring to, to track my sleep. Um, but I will always try to, to aim for, for at least of eight hours of, um, of sleep time. Um, and that's definitely also, also enough for me. Um, like I don't really need more than that for, um, to have a good, good sleep. Um, but yeah, I think an average, um, I can also check that, like, yeah, the average over the last months was always like, yeah, like seven and a half hour.
0: Right, yeah. And uh, then the final question here in this segment would be when and what was your first ever triathlon? You already uh, said that it was when you were five years old. Do you remember anything about that triathlon? Um,
1: yeah, it was uh, a junior challenge in Roth. Um, yeah, I was five years old and it was like, I don't even know the exact distances, but um f- was for sure just like 50 meters swimming. Um, I couldn't do like any freestyle yet. So I just swim like breaststroke. <laughs> and then um, I remember that my parents could help me um, with the transition. So I think they uh, helped me put on put on a shirt and my helmet, uh, <laughs> helped me get onto my bike. And it was like, I don't know, maybe uh, two kilometers of cycling. And then from transition to just running into into the finish <laughs> so but but I think um <laughs> because I was just five years old, and there, my age group didn't exist yet back then, like for that young, so I was starting against uh i don't know seven or eight years old, <laughs> but uh, i actually got got third uh, in my in my division I have no idea how many started oh, wow. <laughs> so but <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that that was uh, uh pretty nice. I don't really have a lot of memories to that but i i have some also some some pictures i um i can watch back and yeah it looks pretty funny i
0: i think it's one of the most amazing things in triathlon when you when you're at the race and they have these kids triathlon and especially the the very youngest kids uh, age groups when they when they start it's it's so inspiring and uh it makes you really happy (laughs) to see that uh, for me at least um so yeah one one question now not related to your own training but just if you would give uh, three pieces of advice for the listeners of this podcast on how to improve their triathlon performance what would that be
1: um so the first advice i would give is uh eat enough um like because especially a lot of amateurs always try to eat um, as healthy as possible but they completely forget about getting enough calories in and of course, it's, it matters what you eat also. But, um, the first thing is to really get, um, it, the calories in you also, also burn on that day. Otherwise, you recover poorly and you get injured, uh, sick or, or overtrained. So, um, that's also like advice for, for pro, pro athletes as well. <laughs> and so always, always eat enough. And, um, then the second advice is to, prioritize um, sleep and recovery um, yeah amateur athletes also working working full time um, I'm I have a big respect when when they like get up in early morning they do a training session then they hit their eight hours workday and then they do another training session <laughs> and um, so but that's it sounds pretty tough because you you have barely any recovery time so it's often better to do maybe just, just one session per day and use the, use the other, um, the, the, the free time, other free time you have rather for recovery than, than for a second session. Probably you would benefit more, more from that than from, from training more. And the third and most important advice is, uh, to, yeah, to have fun. I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hobby. Um, <laughs> of course it's a lifestyle. Um, but yeah I think the most important thing is to to have fun and even when you are a really ambitious amateur or age grouper um having fun should be the number one priority because when you have fun the uh yeah the the success and um the performance comes from from itself
0: for sure yeah and uh finally the rapid fire questions so take just uh, one sentence to answer these and the first one is what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports
1: uh related to endurance sport i'd say it's it's the internet (laughs) so when i I read books it's it's not uh, related to to endurance sports
0: (laughs) and uh, what's an important habit that you have benefited from athletically professionally or personally
1: um i mean it's just just overall the the structure i have in my day so it just yeah just keeps me going so like every every habit to just to get up in the morning have my coffee and then uh just get along with with my with my training day
0: and uh, finally who's somebody that you look up to that has inspired you
1: um it's it's not not an easy question because for me like um i don't really have that one person uh, which inspires me or i look up to but the first ones to come in, into my mind is are my parents for sure because they taught me um to to love the sport um to love this lifestyle and um just yeah having fun and do what i love so and they really inspire me um day by day um but on the other hand like it can be my, my, um, fiance, um, finishing her first long distance last year, um, which also really, really inspired me. Uh, so yeah, it can be, uh, someone else every week. I mean, it's, I'm getting easily inspired by, by people just living their passion.
0: Yeah, no, that is great. And, uh, finally, uh, you have you're on instagram and on youtube and on strava i think those are all great places to follow you and i will have the links in the show notes is there anything else any other places people should follow you and or anything else that you any other messages to the listeners or or anything that you want to to mention before we close off this, this interview
1: yeah no uh, yeah like you said instagram strava and uh youtube um yeah these are the my main main three um, social media platforms where you can follow me along and yeah other than that i have i have nothing nothing to add um just wish everybody um yeah good training and um yeah that's it (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much, uh, Fred. It was great to talk to you. Maybe I'll see you in, uh, in Lahti uh, or in another race. And uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And, and also, I definitely appreciate you being so open with your training and your, and all of your data. And uh, I think it, it sets a, a great example. And I hope that more athletes more will do the same so we can all learn from each other. Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, the pleasure is mine. Thanks a lot for, for the conversation and for the interview. And yeah, looking forward to meet you. Thanks.
0: I hope that you enjoyed that interview. Uh, please let me know any feedback that you might have from this first pro triathlete interview on the podcast. The best way to give me feedback is to email me, michael at scientifictriathlon.com, and that's michael with a K. If you have suggestions for athletes that you want to hear from or other things I should ask and bring up in these interviews, let me know that as well. I'm very happy to receive any kind of feedback. You can find the show notes for the episode on scientifictrafflon.com with links to Frederick's Instagram, YouTube, and Strava, as well as the interview that I did with Dan Lorang his coach back in episode 175 of the podcast and uh, one of the most downloaded episodes uh, in the history of the podcast, I believe. And next Monday, we have a Q&A episode on bike training, and it will be co-hosted uh, with uh, Lartan Kirin, scientific From coach. By the time you hear this, we will have already recorded that Q&A, but be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, and you will always get uh, invites to send in questions for future Q- Q&As before we record them. And uh, obviously, I can send, say at this point that the next one will be on run training, so if you have questions, feel free to email them to me already, and I will store them safely. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want some help to achieve your goals, big or small, then consider working with a scientific triathlon coach or a training plan. We have options for athletes of all different levels, from beginners to professional, and uh, we would love to work with you and uh, discuss if and how we can help you on your triathlon journey. Find out more and contact us if you're interested on scientifictriathlon.com. And finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs, and get a specific and effective race strategy, and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Form that you can find on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace, stroke rate and heart rate and advanced post-swim analysis. Use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form smart swim goggles. Thank you as always for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.